Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. We are now just a couple of days away from another great weekend of college football, NFL football, Major League Baseball still going on. We've got NBA started up. There's so much to bet on, guys. So much money to be made. So make sure to jump in on the action while you still can at mybookie.ag. Sign up for a brand new account. you got two awesome promo codes to choose from. You can use our exclusive code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. That does come with a playthrough. So if you want to avoid that playthrough, I get that you can use the other promo code 200 cash to get a 10% cash bonus up to $200 added straight to your account no strings attached so jump on that while you still can guys but as all of you loyal listeners know I am your host Tyler and I am back today to do what I love to do break down college football games and this week we got a big one got a big one in Athens Missouri Fresh off of a bye week is going to be rolling into Athens this weekend to take on our Georgia Bulldogs at 3.30 on Saturday. You guys remember Mizzou, right? The team that pushed us to the very limits last year in Como, who had us firmly up against the ropes pretty much all game long last year. Had me freaking out in the stands, had my hand in my face, just shaking my head, doing the calculus in my head of like, okay, how are we still going to get in the college football playoff after we lose this game? They almost ruined my favorite road trip every other year. But no, the dogs came back. We pulled it out late, pulled it out 26-22, took the lead in the fourth quarter, and were able to sneak out of Columbia with that far too close victory, but a victory nonetheless. But, but in terms of the regular season, Missouri unquestionably gave us the toughest game. And here's the thing, guys, that really wasn't a good Missouri team. That was a Missouri team that, yeah, they made it to a bowl, but they lost that bowl game and ended up 6-7. and seven. And with that 6-7 and seven finish, I believe that Eli Drinkwitz entered this 2023 season on what I think was a moderately hot seat there in Columbia. Now, their expectations for that program are not where our expectations are for a program like Georgia, but through his first three seasons... At Missouri, 
they didn't post a winning record. Now, he made a couple bowl games, but lost those bowl games and ended up with losing records. I think he had five, he was a five and five record his first year, but then six and seven, six and seven. So while no one in the offseason was, was really focusing on Eli Drinkwitz and talking about him as a coach in the hot seat, I kind of looked at him as, as one of those guys. I felt like this season could potentially be a make or break year for him. I felt like he needed to show improvement maybe not necessarily to keep his job, but if he didn't show improvement this year, he absolutely would have gone into 2024 firmly on the hot seat. But 2023 has been the breakthrough season that Eli Drinkwitz needed. And here they are entering week 10, sitting here at seven and one in the SEC. They are playing meaningful games in November. And this is a good football team, guys. Like I said earlier, it was not a good football team last year. It was an okay team. I mean, they, they were capable enough. They pushed us. They pushed a Georgia team that really wasn't paying attention to them, and that was our fault. We should have paid attention, and we did. We got to play the standard every single game, and they almost were able to take advantage of that. They got blown out on the road at Kansas State last year. They lost a game at Auburn. They absolutely should have won. They lost that 17-14. They had some just terrible turnovers, a terrible missed kick that cost them that game. But I mean, they outplayed Auburn that entire game. I remember sitting there watching that game. Uh, at Florida, they, they almost beat Florida. Florida wasn't good last year. They lost by a touchdown. They lost Kentucky by four points. They got murdered by Tennessee in Knoxville. But I mean, they, they were an okay team. They, they were solid, decent enough to get into a bowl game. They lose to a, a perfectly, quintessentially mediocre team in Wake Forest by 10 points in their bowl game. And they had to beat Arkansas. They beat Arkansas by two points in the final game of the regular season season to get to that bowl game or they wouldn't have gone bowling last year and who knows what the narrative about Eli Drinkwitz would have been coming into this season maybe it wouldn't have been altogether different because what's the difference between five and seven and and six and seven not all that much but it doesn't matter because this season they are a very different football team they are playing at a much higher level there is nothing fluky about what they have done to this point. This is not a case of them beating up on bad football teams. That's not the case. They've beaten some good teams. They beat Kansas State at home. Last second field goal, I think it was a 61-in-yarder, I want to say. But they beat them. That's a good football team. Kansas State's a, a top 25 team in the college playoff rankings right now. They did lose to LSU at home. I think the final score is a, a 10-point loss, I want to say. But that was a close game all game long. They, they were up for most of that game, certainly most of the first, almost the entirety of the first half. LSU comes back in the second half and takes the lead. I had money on LSU that game, so I'm glad they won that game. But it really wasn't a 10-point game. The final score is very, very deceptive there. They had a very late pick six to get the cover in that game. Actually, to give me the cover, I, had, I usually don't get backdoor covers. Usually backdoor covers happen to me, not for me. It happened for me in that game. So I was I was very excited about that. Now, they did kind of stumble out of the gate. They were not good early in the season. And I watched, I didn't watch the South Dakota game. I watched, that was their first game. But I did watch the Middle Tennessee State game. And guys, they, I don't want to say they should have lost Middle Tennessee. That, that's going too far. That's not the case. But they easily could have lost to MTSU at home. They won that game 23-19. to and they only outgained the Blue Raiders 316 to 285 in that game. I mean, that was a tight game all the way throughout. That's not a, a case of a game where MTSU scores late to kind of make it look like it was closer than it really was. No, I mean, that, that was a pretty tight game all the way throughout. And they barely outgained Middle Tennessee and barely won that football game. And that was a week after they played South Dakota, an FCS team. And they beat them 35-10 in week one. And they didn't really look all that impressive. They kind of pulled away late, but it really wasn't an overwhelmingly impressive performance in FCS team. So you look at those first two games, you're like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, this is exactly what I thought Missouri was going to be. This is what I thought might happen with Eli Drinkwitz. This is why I kind of had him moderately on the hot seat coming to the year. But things changed in week three. 
They play Kansas State. That's a game that I'll be real, y'all. I picked Kansas State to win that football game. I was surprised based off what I had seen from Missouri the first two weeks, and also even going back to last year, that they won that football game. And they had to come back to do it. Kansas State kind of helped them a little bit, but Missouri flat out went out and won that football game. It, it was a close game. They won it by three points again. Last second, 61-yard field goal by Harrison Mevis, the thicker kicker, who might have the strongest leg in college football. A couple years ago, he was can't miss. Like The dude just never missed. Now, he had some moments last year where he missed some high-profile kicks. I mentioned Auburn, but he's still a really, really good kicker. He rarely misses. He, he's awesome. He's one of the better kickers in the country and certainly has one of the, if not the strongest legs in the country. When you're 474 pounds, you kind of have to have a stronger leg, right? You've got a lot of meat behind it. But getting that dramatic win over Kansas State really jump-started this Missouri football team because they went on a hellacious run over the next couple of weeks after that. So against Missouri, Vanderbilt, and LSU, that is when this Missouri offense straight up took off. You start to see signs of it against Kansas State. That's when Brady Cook really had his breakout game because first two weeks, guys, Brady Cook was not good. He was not playing the level that he's playing at right now. But the Kansas State game, he threw for over 300 yards, took me by surprise. I I had not seen that from him really ever in his career. And they kind of took off offensively, 542 yards since Memphis. Now, that was a game they only won by seven points. I watched that game. It was a weird game. It was played in St. Louis at whatever the Dome is in St. Louis. It was kind of a weird vibe. And they were, I don't want to say, they never really were in doubt of losing the game, but they never were able to pull away from Memphis either. Memphis is a solid G5 team, but not like an elite G5 team. Then they go meet Vanderbilt. They beat them 38-21, put 532 up on the doors. And then came the matchup with LSU. And I was very excited to watch that football game because I wanted to see, okay, how real are you? How real are you, Missouri? All right, you've been good on offense against Memphis, against Vandy, solid against Kansas State, but all right, you're playing a, you're playing a much better team now. Now, LSU's defense, we all know, is terrible. They've gotten a lot better. Pass defense, though, has still been an issue. That's been an issue for most of the season. And Missouri feasted on LSU, especially in the first half in that game. They put up another 500 yards. So three games in a row, that offense put up over 500 yards. And I'm sitting there, I'm watching, I'm like, okay, um, yeah, this team's pretty good. They might actually be able to give us some real trouble down the stretch. Now, they've come back down to earth a little bit with their past two games. They're coming off a bye week this week, which I don't love. I do think that bye weeks are a, a pretty big advantage. Now, it's more of an advantage when you have two teams that are comparable in talent. Now, I would not say that Missouri and Georgia are comparable in talent. They are more talented than they have been in a long time. Drinkwitz has done a really good job recruiting, but we still have a significant amount more talent than what this Missouri football team has. So I don't know how much it will matter, but it it's not nothing, right? It, it does help them to a degree. It gives you time to, number one, heal up. We all know that. You get to work on yourself. You get to work on some of your tendencies. And you also, let's be real, you have a little time. You get to put in a few little wrinkles here and there that maybe we have not seen before. So they will be coming to Athens off the bye week, but prior to that, they had games against Kentucky on the road and South Carolina at home. And it was a very different looking Missouri team when they got to play those teams. I mean, South Carolina is not good on defense, guys. They're, they're very bad. Kentucky's solid-ish on defense. They're good. They're fine. But the Missouri team that we had seen against Memphis and Vandy and LSU was very different. They won those games. They beat Kentucky handily, 38-21. It was maybe a little bit closer than that, than what the final score was. But that was a game Missouri still led most of the way and kind of pulled away late. But they did not look as dominant against Kentucky and South Carolina as they had earlier, at least the, the couple weeks leading into that. Now, I know they lost to LSU, but in the first half against LSU, like they were on fire. They looked really, really good. So they have come back down to earth a little bit. But this is still a very, very capable team, guys. They are a team that is fully capable of beating us. Now, 
hear me when I say this, guys. I am in no way predicting that to happen. That's not what I'm suggesting. Missouri should not come in here and beat us. That should not happen. But if we screw around like we did last year in Columbia, they are absolutely capable of beating us. This is a much better Missouri football team than it was a year ago. And they almost beat us last year. Now, I know that was different circumstances. It was in Columbia. It was a night game there. We were overlooking them. That's not going to be the case this year. They have our full attention. So different circumstances. But if that Missouri team last year was able to come so very close to beating us, pushed us the way they pushed us, this Missouri team absolutely is capable of doing the same thing, if not worse, if we do not come to play. If we could come out and play like we did the first three and a half quarters of that game in Como last year. And I mentioned recruiting, guys. The recruiting's paying off. Now, Eli Drinkwitz is not recruiting on a Georgia level or an Alabama level or an Ohio State, Texas level. He's not recruiting like that. But this is Missouri we're talking about. This is in no way a traditional recruiting power. This is a traditional, like, also-ran recruiting school. And he has really unequivocally, at least in the, the era of ranking these recruiting classes, he's recruited better than any coach in Missouri history over the past couple of years. And you are starting to see the dividends on the field. They've also done a really nice job in the transfer portal, bringing in impact players that really fit their system and, and what they want to do. So you combine their success with the transfer portal with their newfound recruiting success. And all of a sudden you have a team that's far more talented than Missouri teams typically are. Still certainly not at the level of Georgia in terms of their talent, but more talented than your average Missouri team is. And that's a big part of why they are capable of coming in here and pushing us, just like they did last year, if we do not play to our standard, if we do not come out ready to go, firing on all cylinders. So there's your setup for this Missouri team, guys. And I'm going to get into all the specifics, all the details. We're going to break this down and give you the deepest of deep dives in this Missouri team, into this match between Missouri and Georgia that you are going to find anywhere. We're going to do that in just a second. But first, before we dive in there, I want to remind you guys one more time about our great friends at my bookie. We are on a little bit of a heater right now, guys, with our picks of the week. And I know you guys are listening to that episode each and every week. We were letting you down there for a couple of weeks. I got to be honest with you. I didn't feel great about it, but I knew it was just a matter of time. And that time has come. And we are on a hot streak right now. So you want to make sure that you get in on all the action while we're still in this hot streak. Hopefully it lasts the rest of the season, but you never know. So jump in on all this action. Take these picks. Make some money with it. And the easiest way to do that is with my bookie. So if you're a brand new user, just go to mybookie.ag, use our our promo code UGA when you sign up for a brand new account and you get a 50% bonus on top of your first deposit. That does come with a little bit of a playthrough. So if you want to avoid that, then you can just use the other option. You can use the code 200CASH to get a 10% cash bonus added straight to your account. Zero strings attached. You just bet your initial deposit and boom, that money is yours to do whatever you want with it. No playthroughs to worry about. So two great options for you guys. Just pick whatever works best for you. And put some money in your pocket while you can, guys. The college football season is heating up. We're getting to the best part of the college football season here, guys, but it's not going to be around forever. As much as that pains me to say, we're in November. It's not going to be around forever. So take advantage of our picks. Take advantage of the, your opportunities to put some cash in your pocket while you can. Again, go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code UGA or the code 200 cash to get a 10% cash bonus on your first deposit. So do that, guys, so you can bet anything, anywhere, anytime only with my bookie.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, and we are back. So, yes, this is a significantly improved Missouri Tigers football team. And when trying to explain the leap that this program has taken this season, your answer has to start with the Missouri offense. And when trying to explain the leap that the Missouri offense has taken from 2022 to 23, your answer has to start with quarterback Brady Cook. Guys, I cannot emphasize to you enough how different Brady Cook is this year. A lot of you probably remember in the preseason when I was giving you guys some win total bets and we were doing the, the Scout and the Enemy series and I did my, my preview on Missouri. And I was very adamant on that preview, really all offseason long whenever we talking about Missouri, that I did not believe in Brady Cook. I stand by that based off what I had seen coming into this year and really through the first like two weeks of the season. Because Brady Cook... And his time as a starter last year, he started every single game in Missouri last year, gave me absolutely zero reasons to believe in that guy coming to this year. He was as average as it gets. He wasn't terrible, but he was not good. He did not go out there and win football games with him. At times, he put his team in bad situations. He was always a good athlete, but he had this kind of strange delivery, kind of over-the-top delivery, wasn't overly accurate, really didn't show much of an ability to, to stretch the field on any sort of consistent basis, struggled at times with progressions, wasn't altogether accurate. He was just... The, the definition of an average quarterback in the SEC. So I'm looking at Missouri, and I'm like, well, why is this team going to be better this year? They have the same guy, but he has not been the same guy. And Eli Drinkwood saw the same things I saw, guys. He went out and got Jake Garcia, who was a former highly rated guy coming out of high school, originally from California, and uh, then transferred down here to Georgia to Grayson High School, my old neck of the woods, uh, just down the road from where I live, not too far from where I grew up. Uh, but he had a great year at Grayson his senior year. Then he goes to Miami. He didn't end up winning the job there. Got some opportunities last year and just didn't really seize the job when Van Dyke was dealing with injuries. So he transfers to Missouri. So they bring him in with the express purpose of challenging Brady Cook because Brady Cook wasn't good last year, guys. That wasn't just me. Their own coaching staff saw that. They also had another another Gwinnett County guy, Sam Horn from Collinsville High School, who was the quarterback on that Collinsville team with Travis Hunter that won the state title a couple years ago. He's a big-time baseball player, but he was on the Missouri team as well. So you had these two quarterbacks, Sam Horn and Jake Garcia, who were, brought, who were there to essentially replace Brady Cook. They were given every opportunity to do so, and I firmly expected one of them to do that because of what I saw from Brady Cook in 2022. He just was not that guy. He was not that guy. But I got to give that dude a lot of credit, man. He went to work this offseason, and he completely changed his throwing motion. He does not have that goofy, weird, slow, over-the-top delivery anymore. He has a Patrick Holmes-esque delivery. And you go, you, you've probably seen some clips, and maybe you have seen some clips of him. They kind of show him on some of these games of him going out 
and working with a private quarterback coach this summer and just completely reworking his delivery. He's got that kind of like three quarters delivery now where he can throw the ball from all sorts of different angles. He gets it out of his hands really quick. kind of just spins it the way that seriously Patrick Mahomes does. That's become all the rage now. All the quarterbacks want to do that. They're trying to emulate Patrick Mahomes because of course you would. Why would you not? And Brady Cook has done a hell of a job in one season of completely reworking his throwing motion. And that motion has worked wonders for him. He is so much more accurate than he was a year ago. I know his completion percentage was fine last year. It was like 64%, but he really wasn't pushing the ball down the field all that much. This year, he's pushing the ball down the field more, and his completion percentage has gone up, which that doesn't usually happen. Usually, when you're pushing the ball down the field more, there's a lower percentage throws, your completion percentage tends to go down. That doesn't happen. He's pushing the ball down the field more, and his completion percentage has gone up. This dude is throwing the ball with a different level of accuracy, and he's getting the ball out of his hands far quicker than he was last year. I think Kirby said it was like 2.3 seconds he's getting the ball out of his hands. Now, I I don't know those numbers because I don't I can't track that, but I'm gonna take Kirby's word for it because it kind of matches what I see with my own two eyes. This guy is different this year. Not only is are the differences physical, but you can tell this guy is so much more confident and in control than he was at any point last year. He has become a difference maker. And I don't use that word lightly. Brady Cook has become a difference maker for the Missouri Tiger offense, and he was nowhere remotely close to that last year. At times, in fact, he was a liability. That ain't the case this year, guys, at least after the first two weeks. The first two weeks, he looked a lot like old Brady Cook, but that that Kansas State game, it did something for this guy. He had a huge game, built up his confidence, and now he's been rolling really ever since. And I find it really hard to not root for the kid. I really do. Now, I'm not going to be rooting for him in this game. I want this guy to lose. I want him to have the worst game they could possibly have. And that sounds terrible, but that's what I'm hoping for in this one game. But guys, this is a, I, I, I kind of see like a lot of myself in this guy. Not that I was ever a Missouri fan, but this is a dude. He's from St. Louis. He grew up a massive Missouri fan. And all he's ever wanted to do his entire life is play quarterback for Missouri. In fact, there was a quote that kind of broke my heart I saw from this kid because he was getting ripped most of last year because he wasn't good. The first two weeks of this year, Eli Drinkwitz had to actually like admonish their fan base in one of their uh, one of his press conferences because they were just all over Brady Cook, just ripping this guy left and right. And so he had kind of take up for his quarterback. And Brady Cook had this quote that was just heartbreaking, man. It's like, all I want to do my entire life was play quarterback for Missouri. I just wish that everybody else wanted me to play quarterback for Missouri. And I'm like, oh my God, dude. I, I feel that because all I wanted to do my entire life growing up was play football for the University of Georgia. And uh, yeah, obviously it didn't work out for me when you're five foot 11. And, uh, well, let's let's say six foot. Can we go there? I don't know. Not really. No, my wife will just laugh at me if I say that. Uh, yeah, five foot 11. She swears I'm five ten. Hey, the doctor says five eleven. So I'm five foot 11, like just nobody running a, a four seven forty in high school on my very, very best day. So it didn't work out for me. But you know, I always wanted to. It was always my dream. So I see this guy and I just, I just I'm like, damn, yeah, that was my dream too. And he's getting to live his dream. I didn't get to do that. But it's hard to like root against this kid because he just, he works hard, man. He's one of those guys that goes and he works hard. He is by all accounts, just a great guy. I mean, Eli Drinkwitz was a very creepy statement. I don't know if you guys caught this, but he's like, Hey, you know, when, when my girl, I wish my girls were hoping to turn 18. So, you know, I could, I could hook him up with, with Brady. And it's like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. What are we talking about, buddy? And it's like, he's like, no, no. I mean, I just, I'm t- he's just that good of a kid. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Also, let's just not say that again though. But he, again, he's a guy that, that you want to root for. Not in this game though, not in this game, but I have a lot of respect for Brady Cook. Uh, I was hard him in the offseason. And again, I, I go back and say it. I, I think that was fair based off what we had seen from him. But when you're hard on a guy based off what you've seen, you've also got to be able to alter that opinion when you get new information to work with. And I got new information to work with. And this guy has turned into a difference maker. And it's not just 
the arm talent. Like he's throwing the ball very well. That's clearly the strength of his game. But this guy is a very underrated athlete. If you watch Missouri, you know what I'm talking about. This guy can move. He can scramble and pick up yards, but they actually use him with design QB run stuff. We're not talking about just like, you know, once or twice a game. They will not, I don't want to say feature him. That's not the right way to say it, but he is clearly a part of the game plan running the football for this Missouri offense each and every week. They'll do some zone read stuff. They'll do some design QB draw stuff. They'll do some QB power stuff with him. They'll do some QB sweep stuff. And that's always been something that Eli Drinkwitz has wanted to have in his offenses. Even though he had guys at NC State when he was the OC that weren't really mobile at all, he'd still run some like option with them every now and then because he wants, he thinks that's an, you get an edge, you get the numbers edge in the run game. And that gives you clearly an advantage offensively. So when you get a guy like Brady Cook, who is a really good athlete, you're going to make use of those legs. Now, I, I should also mention this. Maybe I should have mentioned this at the outset, talking about Missouri offense. Eli Drinkwitz is not calling the plays anymore. Now, this is a guy that's been a longtime play caller. You know, he was a Boise State. He was an NC State. Took the job at Appalachian State, which he parlayed in this job in Missouri. He was calling plays all the time, all the way along, right? First three years here in Columbia, calling plays. But it wasn't really working out for him, right? So I remember I told you guys I thought he was like at least on like a mildly hot seat coming in this year. So he, he made a change. And guys, they were so bad on offense last year. They made a significant jump this year. In fact, if you want to look at where they were last year compared to this year, it is night and day. They finished near the bottom of really most major SEC offensive categories last year statistically. They were 10th or worse in the league in total offense, yards to play, and scoring offense in route to that very underwhelming 6-7 and seven record. So what does Drinkwitz do? Give the guy credit. I think he's kind of, I don't know, man. He's kind of annoying at times, but... He's a passionate dude. He'll tell you what he thinks. But I got to give him credit here. In an effort to jumpstart what was really a, a more bun Missouri offense, this guy who'd been calling plays for a long time set aside his ego and went and hired Kirby Moore from Fresno State. Yeah, Kirby Moore, you guys might know his brother, Kellen Moore, played quarterback at Boise State. Coordinator was with the Cowboys. I think he's with the Chargers now. This is his brother, his younger brother. And he brings him over and serves as their new office coordinator and... He relinquished play calling duties to Kirby Moore. And the dividends have, have been immediate, guys. They've been as immediate as they have been impressive. This year, under Kirby Moore, Missouri's averaging roughly 75 yards more, more per game. They're, they jumped from 367 per game last year to 443 so far this year. They're scoring nearly 10 points more per game, going from 24.8 last year to 33.9 this year. This is a much better Missouri offense. Now, don't get me wrong. Eli Drinkwitz's fingerprints, his influence are still all over this Missouri offense. But Kirby Moore is the one calling plays. It's a, it reminds me a lot like the Kirby Smart situation here at Georgia. Like Kirby's not the quote unquote play caller for our defense, but his fingerprints, his influence is still all over our defense and our game plans. He's still intimately involved with what we do. He's involved with the play calling and in the week to week, day to day, week to week stuff. I, that's kind of what's happening here with Missouri. Yes, Kirby Moore is the play caller, but Drinkwitz is still very, very much involved. And you're seeing a lot of the, the staples of Eli Drinkwitz's offenses that are still very much a part of this Missouri offense, even though he's not technically the one calling plays. 
But yes, while Kirby Moore has been a, a big part of the, the revolution in this Missouri offense, I still go back to Brady Cook. I still think he has been the biggest difference maker in this Missouri offense because it's the quarterback position. It's the most important position on the team. They weren't good enough there last year. That's why they were a very average 6-6 six and six team or 6-7 and seven team at the end of the day, and that's why they're 7-1 right now. He has raised his level of play. To give you some numbers here to match it up, the dude threw for 2,700 yards total last year. He's already almost at 2,300 this year. He averaged 7.2 yards per attempt. 9.3 this year, guys. He's up two full yards in his yards per attempt. He's Like I told you, he's pushing the ball vertically down the field far more than he did last year. He's already thrown for more touchdowns than he did a year ago. He's 14 touchdowns to seven picks a year ago. 15-3 and three right now. Completion percentage up from 64.8 to 69.8. Rarely, like I said, do you see a quarterback go up that much with his completion percentage and that much in yards per attempt in the same year. He's a different guy. I stand by what I said about him all offseason long. He he was not good last year. Listen to those numbers, guys. 64% completion percentage, 2,700 yards, 7.2 yards per attempt, 14 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. That's not a good quarterback. This year, though, he's a different guy, and that's changed things for this Missouri offense. Now, the one big area when you watch him play that you see, I don't know if it's a weakness, but you see some maybe some deficiencies, some, an area where we can potentially get after him and maybe exploit some things that he's not so good at is you got to pressure the guy. Now, every quarterback, most quarterbacks, you don't want to speak in absolutes, most quarterbacks are not as proficient when they are under pressure as they are when they are sitting there in a clean pocket. But it's especially pronounced for Brady Cook. When he is sitting there in a clean pocket, PFF has his offensive, his passing grade at a 90.7. When he's under pressure, the passing grade drops to 48.9. And I know I always tell you to be cautious with PFF, but when they, when I always, like I always tell you, when their numbers match what I'm seeing my own two eyes, I tend to put more stock in that. And you can also look at his adjusted completion percentage. When he's kept clean, his adjusted completion percentage is 84 and a half. Under pressure, it drops all the way to 59, guys, 59. So again, every quarterback, most quarterbacks are going to have inferior numbers when they're under pressure compared to when they're clean, but not that dramatic of a difference between their clean numbers and their pressure numbers. That's what it takes. You got to get after it. Now, easier said than done because they run the football pretty well, which we can get to in a minute, which can keep a defense off balance. And he does do a really good job of getting the ball out of his hands, but you've got to dial up pressure and you got to find a way to affect him. That's why the the way that we were able to get pressure more on Florida a week ago, I know that was one game on Florida's offensive line is not good. Missouri's offensive line is not elite, but it's better than Florida's offensive line. They've, they're actually third in the SEC in in, uh, in terms of sacks allowed. They do a good job of keeping him protected. And again, he does a good job himself of getting the ball out of his hands. He's going through his reads much quicker this year. He's much more confident in where to go with the football, nor where his outlets are. So it's tough to get pressure on him. But if you can, and some teams have, when you get pressure on him, He's not as good. LSU, especially in the second half of that game against Missouri, they were just dialing up pressure. They were behind and they were trying to play catch up and they wanted to try to force the issue. They started to pressure him a little bit more and that gave him some trouble. He threw his first interception of the season against LSU. In fact, that was the first interception like over a year from him. I think it was like 366 pass attempts, which was an SEC record. He set an SEC record for consecutive pass attempts without throwing an interception. He's still only throwing two on the year. Again, he's he's in control, guys. He knows where they go with the football. He's been accurate. But when you pressure him, the accuracy is not as strong. The confidence is not as strong. He's not as good. It's just that simple. So one of the keys to this game, maybe the key to the game for us, 
especially in terms of slowing down this Missouri offense, is find a way to get after Brady Cook, but also maintain your structural integrity in the back end because they can light you up. They got some explosive receivers, which we're going to get to. In fact, let's go ahead and go there, guys. So Brady Cook has been remarkably good for them, so much better than he was a year ago, but this is far from a one-man show for the Missouri offense. In fact, he has an incredibly impressive array of skill talent around him to work with. He's been much better, yes, but the skill talent has also improved this year, and that combination of improved skill talent, improved quarterback play has created a Missouri offense that has been very, very good for most of this season, not every game, and they've kind of come back down to earth a little bit the past couple weeks, but they have still been very good all year long, and they are a threat every single game to put up a big number. But when you talk about the skill talent around Cook, you gotta start with Luther Burden III. This guy has been unbelievable this year. I hope that you've all had a chance to watch Missouri at least a little bit this year, because if you have, you know what I'm talking about. This dude shows up every single game. For a while, he was leading the entire SEC in receiving. Right now, he's number one in reception. He's got 63 receptions on the year and over 900 yards receiving, so he's second in receiving yards behind Malik Neighbors right now from LSU. The guy has been an absolute lethal weapon for this Missouri offense. A big part of why, number one, he's just a year older, a year more experienced. He was a freshman last year. They all, they also had our guy, Dominic Lovett, and he was working mainly out of the slot, which is really what Luther Burden's natural position is. And that also happens to be traditionally the premier position in the Eli Drinkwitz offense. And they used Dominic Lovett to that effect last year, and he was their leading receiver. Well, Luther Burden, with Lovett off to Georgia, has now taking over that slot position. He's, he plays about 85% of his snaps coming out of the slot, and he's just, he's a natural fit there, guys, and he's just deadly. He's absolutely deadly, because think about when you play in the slot. Like, what does that mean? Well, you play in the slot there, you can't really get any hands on him coming off the ball, because he's removed from the line of scrimmage. So he's getting free releases, and a guy that's that fast, that quick, that explosive to get a free release you can use him in so many ways. They'll do something as simple as running like, running like little whip routes, option routes with him. They just want to get the guy the ball in space. They try a lot of ways. They find a lot of different ways to get him the ball in space, whether that's a screen game, whether it's just him like running, like I said, like a quick little option route. If it's zone coverage, just him just finding the little hole in the zone and sitting down there. They'll do some jet sweep stuff with him. They'll do some mesh stuff with him. They'll run some dig routes across the middle. They'll run him down the seam, vertically down the field. They'll run fade routes. They do a little bit of everything with Luther Burden because he's that good. He's that kind of talent, guys. And he is virtually impossible to cover one-on-one. He's very, very difficult to cover one-on-one. I don't know if anyone on our team right now can actually cover this guy one-on-one if Brady Cook has a lot of time back there to sit back and just, and just pick us apart. He's that good. He is that good, man. I mean, he right now, I think he's certainly in the conversation to be first-team All-American at receiver, at least one of those All-American teams. Like, he's been that good for them. The dude's got three games of 140 or more yards receiving. He's got three games of double-digit receptions. I mean, he's been unbelievable. But it's not just him. He, he's their number one weapon on their entire offense, but it's not just him. They brought in a guy named Theo Weiss from Oklahoma, who I was kind of skeptical about coming in the end of the season. I knew that they got him, but he'd really done nothing at Oklahoma to speak of. I think his top year was like 500 yards receiving. He'd been like, okay, just a, very much a complimentary piece. And he's still a complimentary piece here to Luther Burden, but he's already put together a career year for himself at Missouri. Yes, he's a far cry from what Luther Burden has been for them. He's got about half his receptions and half his receiving yards, but he's been a really nice complimentary piece. He's got 440 yards receiving, 36 catches on the year. He's the tallest of their receivers. They, they, guys, they're a team that really 
plays four guys at receiver. Really, it's three guys. They play Luther Burden, Theo Weiss, and Mookie Cooper, who's a transfer from Ohio State, transferred prior to last year. And he's also having a career year himself with 28 catches for 359. Those are their top three guys. Now, the fourth guy is a true freshman who has been really explosive for them, but hasn't seen as much time. His name is Marquise Johnson. He's got only nine catches on the year, but those nine catches have gone for 268, guys. That's nearly 30 yards per catch, 29.8 yards per catch, nine receptions. A full third of them have gone for touchdowns. He's got three touchdowns on the year. So it's those four guys, though. They have a tight end named Brett Norfleet who... I mean, plays tight end for them. He's not a big part of their passing game, though. He's he's only got nine catches himself for 104 yards. Not a big part of their passing game. So it's really those three guys, Marquise Johnson, and they don't really rotate guys. It's, it's those players. Those are their receivers. That's who they use. They haven't accumulated the depth that a team like Georgia has. They have some top-end talent in their starting 11, but they don't go very deep right now. But you don't really have to when your skill town is as dynamic as their skill town has been this year. So yeah, Burden's the guy, but Weiss, Cooper, even Marquise Johnson to a little bit of a lesser degree, they're all capable of making plays. They've all made plays. And all of them except for Weiss are smaller guys. They're all under six foot. Weiss is 6'2". He's the tallest they got of their guys out, out wide. I mean, he's a little bit longer, but Burden, Cooper... Johnson, they're all under they're all under six foot guys, and that's kind of what fits this offense. They're all players they want to get in space, and they're really hard to defend in space. They're all shifty, they're all twitchy, they're all explosive, and that's really along with what Bray Cook has been able to do offensively, him being dialed in. That's what's really allowed this offense to take off this year, become a much more explosive, much more dangerous offense in the SEC to the point that they are seven and one with a realistic shot to win the SEC East. I mean, they believe, guys. I mean, I know you might not believe, but they believe, and they mathematically have a shot. But here's the thing, guys. I've just spent the past, well, like 20 minutes or so talking about the Missouri passing game. Well, the passing game has been great. It has been dynamic. It has been explosive. But the foundation of this Missouri offense remains their run game. Again, let's go back and look at Eli Drinkwitz's history calling plays. I know he's not the play caller, but like I said, his his fingerprints and his influence are still all over this offense. Eli Drinkwitz traditionally has been a guy that wants to run the football and work play action off of that. All right, that's what they do. Specifically, what Missouri does on offense running the football is they run outside zone. This is a heavy, heavy, heavy outside zone team. They'll work some inside zone. They will do that but they want to run outside zone. That's what they do. That's what Eli Drinkwitz has done for a long time, calling plays, and that's still what this Missouri offense does. So yeah, I know there's a different play caller, but they're still largely running the scheme that Eli Drinkwitz has pretty much always utilized and had a lot of success with. I mean, guys, you're going to see them run outside zone 10, somewhere between 10 and 20 times against us on Saturday, somewhere between that. That's what they do. And they work everything off of that. They'll work play action off of that. They'll work some QB run stuff off of that. They run a lot of pistol. When they get into pistol, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's outside zone every time they're in pistol, but when they get in pistol, watch for outside zone. Now, when they are running the ball, they tend to run to the left side of their offensive line. They have two veterans. They have a left guard who is now a fourth year starter and their left tackle is a third-year starter, and they're both really, really good football players. I wouldn't say that they're elite SEC linemen, but Xavier Delgado, the left guard, and Javon Foster, the left tackle, those guys have played a ton of football in the SEC, and they, of all their handoffs, handoffs to running backs, again, they use some QB run stuff, they'll run some zone uh, or some jet sweep stuff with 
usually with Bird, but with a couple of different guys. Sometimes they'll do it with Mookie Cooper. But 58% of their handoffs to running backs have gone to the left side of their offensive line. That is typically where they want to run the football. When they need to get a couple yards, they're going to turn to the left side of their offensive line. It's the most experienced part of their line. It is the strongest part of their line. And that is where they lean when they need something. So keep that in the back of your mind watching this game on Saturday. But going back to what I was saying about them working everything in this offense off of the outside zone, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every time they drop back to pass, it's play action. That's not the case. In fact, they throw the ball more off off of no play action than they do play action, but they're far more effective and explosive throwing the football down the field off of play action. So Brady Cook, for example, his grade, his passing grade off of play action is 89.6. His passing grade off of no play action is 77. He's still solid up with no play action, but he's he's better. He's better when he's got play action to work with. They're pushing the ball down the field more off of play action. Their average depth of target off play action is 9.6 yards. Their average depth of target off of no play action is 8.3 yards. Most of their kill shots, if you want to call them that in the passing game, come off of play action. So they're going to run outside zone, outside zone, outside zone, play action, try to take a shot down the field. That's what they're going to do. They're going to work in some some uh, just you know quick game stuff. They're going to work in some mesh. They're going to work in a couple of things, getting Luther Burden the ball in space in between and just let him go to work. But when they want to take a kill shot down the field, typically it's going to be off of play action and that play action is going to be off of outside zone action. And their running back is good, guys. Cody Schrader's his name. You probably remember him. Remember the the guy that Malachi Starks chased down at like the what the one yard line and essentially saved the game for us there. We didn't know at the time, but ultimately, in retrospect, it did kind of save the game. That ridiculous play he made just running him down. That was Cody Schrader. Cody Schrader, um, yeah, he got caught from behind. He's different this year, guys. He was good for them last year. He slimmed up. He's faster. He's quicker. He's just better than he was a year ago. Now, he's got a really interesting story, too. This is a guy that spent, I think, three years at Truman State, a Division II team, and was like a Division II All-American, just a really good player for them. But he had to walk on at Missouri prior to last year. He had to earn his way on this team. And now he has risen to become unquestionably their top running back. He's like 5'9", 215 pounds. He's a kind of a sawed-off dude. But he runs freaking hard, man. He is tough to bring down. Rarely does one guy bring him down on first contact. You got to gang tackle this dude. And if you're one-on-one with him, you better bring it, man, because this dude is going to be putting that shoulder down trying to run through you. He's not overly elusive. He's got solid feet, but he's not overly elusive. He has gotten faster than he has a year ago, but here's the thing. Here's what makes him good, guys, is he's a great fit for this offense. Again, he's not an overly elusive guy. He's not going to dance with you. He wants to one cut and get get downhill and put his shoulder through you. And that just happens to be a perfect fit for what Missouri does with their run game. That's outside zone to a T. What do you do with outside zone? You press this line, you press line, press the line, you find the hole, boom, one foot in the ground, cut up field, get north-south, and you get going. And that is what Cody Schrader does. That's why he is second in the SEC in rushing right now. He's averaging 100 yards rushing per game. He has over 800 yards rushing right now. This is a former walk-on from Truman State, and he has become not just a legitimate SEC back, he has become a big-time SEC back. Again, second in the entire league in rushing right now. When you see him out there on the field on Saturday, if you haven't watched Missouri much this year, you're going to look at him and you might scoff. You're like, this guy? Yeah, that guy. He's good, man. He's a great fit for this offense. I don't know if he has much like an NFL future, but it doesn't matter. He fits this offense. He's a hell of a college running back. He runs hard. He's tough. He's physical. And he's got that 
one cut downhill and just explode out of that cut type ability. And that's what they do with outside zone. So yeah, he's been awesome. And they came into the season, it was kind of a two-headed thing going on. I wouldn't call it a two-headed monster, but it was a, a, a duo back there. It was Schrader and it was this guy named Nathaniel Pete, who was a transfer from Stanford. He was on the team last year too. He was their top back coming into last year. And um, he's dealt with some injuries. He was hurt early in the year. And in his absence, Schrader's kind of just taken over. And he's their guy, man. He's got like 600 yards more rushing than Pete. I mean, he's unquestionably their guy. Pete will get some time, but he's not what Cody Schrader is. And, and Schrader's just, he's their guy, man. He's going to play a lot for them on Saturday. They don't rotate a ton there because they don't, again, they don't have a ton of depth, but he's he's good, man. They don't need a ton of depth and you got a guy like that. So this Missouri offense, guys, it's much better. It's much, much better. It's been, in fact, maybe the driving force behind this Missouri team this year. Now, as I said a little bit earlier, they have come back down to earth a little bit over the past couple weeks against two defenses that aren't great. Kentucky's a good defense. South Carolina is not a good defense. And if you look at their numbers against Kentucky, I mean, they only put up 332 yards of offense against Kentucky. I mean, they only threw the ball for 214 yards. That's Brady Cook coming off games where he threw the ball for 356, 341, 395, 411, put 214 against Kentucky. That's on the road, Kentucky, night game. Okay, fine. I can I can somewhat get that. But South Carolina, the issues they've had, that, that's, that's the South Carolina defense that Graham Mertz the week before threw for 400 against. And Brady Cook at home, only 205 passing. 15 to 25, 205, only 418 total against just a, a South Carolina defense that's just not been good and they've dealt with a lot of injuries themselves. So it hasn't been the same performance. They had like a three and a half ish week run where they were just lights out on offense. They've come back down to earth a little bit. A part of that is teams are really paying a lot more attention. I mean, they were paying attention to Luther Burden, but now teams are doing everything they can to take a, take him away. He is number one with a bullet at the top of their uh, the defensive game plans. They're taking away that guy. I mean, against uh, Kentucky, he had two catches. He had five catches against South Carolina, so he's had seven catches combined the past two weeks when he's right now still leading the SEC in receiving or in receptions. That tells you, tells you how much of a factor he was early in the year in ways they're getting him the football. So that's been part of it. They've also found out, been finding some ways to get more pressure on Brady Cook, and he has, again, not been as good with pressure in his face. So teams are starting to figure out some ways to attack this Missouri offense, but it's still a very dangerous offense. I still have a lot of respect for what they've been able to do this year, and they are very capable of going out there and lighting up our defense. So think about what's given our defense issues, guys. When we've had issues defensively over the past couple of years, when we've been on this run, what has it been? It's elite quarterback play, match with elite skill talent and that for most of the year Missouri has had that they still have elite skill talent especially with Luther Burden Brady Cook for at least half the year has been an elite quarterback has he been that the past couple weeks maybe not as much but we've seen it from him this year so if he can be what he was in that three-week stretch and their offense is humming the way that it was at that time yeah they've got the requisite pieces to really kind of push us and give us trouble defensively. But all right, guys, there's about 30 minutes on the Missouri offense. We've got to get to the Missouri defense. I, um, If I don't, then we'll probably be here for another three hours. So i got to cut myself off at some point. But before we move to the Missouri defense, let's talk about our great friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, it was gloriously cold this morning. My wife did not love it. Um, she texted me. She's like, it's freaking cold, and I hate it. And I was like, it feels fantastic. I love it. It's a nice little crisp chill in the air, but I also recognize when I'm going to sit out there in these football games and it's that cold, like it will be probably in the second half against Missouri on Saturday night, uh, it won't be as pleasant. I won't be saying it feels as fantastic, but it's all good because Alumni Hall 
has got me covered, guys. I'm, I've already got my bomber jacket. I've got my hoodie. I'm ready to roll, guys. And I want to make sure you guys are ready to roll when you come up for, for the games on Saturday, whether it's this week or next week against Ole Miss. Do yourself a favor and get outfitted at Alumni Hall. They're going to have stuff that no one else has that you want you want to wear, guys. Like you want to like. There's so many things out there that everybody has, but you want to be that that fan that has the gear that nobody has. You want to be the guy, the gal who's wearing the stuff that people are asking you, like, "Hey, where did you get that?" And you probably say, "Alumni Hall, baby." So be that guy, be that gal, and shop at Alumni Hall. Get all the greatest, latest. Georgia cold weather gear. They got a ton of options, guys. It's going to be open bright and early on Saturday morning at 8 a.m. They'll be there waiting for you guys. If you're coming to town, stop by inside the Epsbury Shopping Center just past the Coney Connector off of 316. Or if you're remote and you're not in Athens, don't worry. You can still shop at alumnihall.com. They have all the same great stuff, and they'll ship it to you very quickly with a nice little touch the way that nobody else does. So shop at Alumni Hall today, guys, for all your Georgia gear needs because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, let's get to this Missouri defense. We spent a lot of time on the Missouri offense, and I think justifiably so because the Missouri offense has been the difference for this Missouri team this year. If you want to know why they're 7-1 and one instead of, you know, 4-4 four and four right now or 3-5, and five, it's the Missouri offense. That's what's changed. But that doesn't mean the defense hasn't been good. It has been. The defense has kind of just been overlooked. It's kind of been operating in the shadows. The Missouri offense has been really explosive and really dynamic, but this Missouri defense is still producing at a high level. And I say still producing at a high level. I say that because that's what they've been doing for pretty much two years running now. But it's, it's interesting. So prior to last year, in 2021, Missouri was terrible on defense. So the first couple of years of Eli Drinkwitz's tenure, 2020 and 2021, they were very, very bad. They were 106 nationally in total defense back in 21. They're going to 434.7 yards per game. But what do they do? Well, you gotta, you gotta make a change when it's that bad, right? So they bring in Blake Baker as their defensive coordinator. And it's a guy who worked at LSU. He'd been the coordinator in Miami for a couple of years. And in his first season on the job, last season, Blake Baker engineered an immediate turnaround. He vaulted the Tigers inside the top 35 nationally in total defense, going from 106 to the top 35, I think 34th nationally in one freaking season, guys. And the Tigers, I, I, you gotta say, they haven't taken another step forward defensively this year. I thought they might because they had 12 or 16 players that played 250 or more snaps last year coming back this year. So I thought reasonably they could maybe take a step forward this year. They haven't done that, at least not statistically, but they haven't regressed either. They have managed to essentially maintain that very strong production from a year ago. They're allowing 338 yards per game, 5.21 yards per play, and 23.3 points per game. It's a still a good, solid SEC defense. Is it elite? No. It's not. I'm not going to try to sell you a bill of goods there. It's not an elite defense. They have some good players in spots. They also have some holes. They don't have a ton of depth with the offense. And that becomes more of an issue with defense because you need to rotate more on that side of the ball. It exhausts you more, right? So you've got to have some more guys you can roll in there that you trust. And they don't have a ton of those guys. They've got, you probably I'd say, eight, seven, eight guys on that starting unit that are really good football players. They have a lot of faith in but there are, there are some deficiencies there that we'll talk about here. But let's talk about what they do well. So I think the, the strength of the Missouri defense, I think it still remains their front six. 
They're uh, fifth in the SEC, and they're 27th nationally in rush defense. They do a really good job stopping the run. That's what they did last year. Uh, they're only giving up 112 yards per game on the ground. But that's not all they do. They also, I mean, they rush the passer fairly well. Again, it's not an elite passers team, just like it's not an elite overall defense, but they do a good job of getting after passers. They're averaging three sacks a game, which also ranks inside the top five of the SEC. Their top two pass rushers are their, are their ends, Darius Robinson at one end and Johnny Walker Jr. on the other. They're different body types or different types of players. Johnny Walker Jr. is more of like what we would call a jack linebacker in our defense. I don't think they call him that in their defense, but essentially it's the same concept, same position. And then Darius Robinson's more or less what we would call a five-tech defensive end in our defense. He's a bigger guy. He's like 6'5", 295, but he actually leads the team in sacks right now at four and a half. Walker's got four himself, so eight and a half between them. They do a good job rushing the passer. And they're both athletic. I mean, obviously different kind of bodies. Walker's more athletic at 6'3", 245. He's a little bit more explosive. But, Rob, but Robinson, for his size, at 295, pushing 300 pounds, is a good athlete. You know, But Walker is more like the prototypical pass rusher. He's got good length, really strong athleticism. He creates havoc in the backfield. That's kind of what that guy does. And when you're watching the Missouri offense out in the field on Saturday, if you haven't seen him much this year, Walker's number 15. You'll see the guy. He's, he's long, lanky. Really good pass rusher, athletic kind of guy. So those are their top two pass rushers. On the interior, they don't get much of a pass rush, much of an interior push, but they got two strong run defenders. Uh, they've been around for a long time. Veterans there in George Realis Jr. and Jaden Jernigan. Really strong interior duo, do a solid job of defending that interior run game. And then at linebacker, they have a really good athlete, uh, this guy named Tyron Hopper, who's a fifth-year senior. He's a transfer from Florida. He was with Missouri last year, transferred prior to last year. He's a, a solid athlete. Uh, but, uh, he's a really good athlete. He's solid between the tackles against the run. He's, he's good there, not great. He can get washed down at times. He really excels in space. He's, he's a really good athlete. That's the strength of his game. So he's a, he, he kind of jumped on the scene last year and was a really good player for them. Um, this year, he's been good. He's been largely the same player. He hasn't really progressed much, has, hasn't regressed much, same kind of guy. And then he uh, also plays uh, at inside linebacker with a sixth-year senior, a guy named Chad Bailey, who was suspended in the offseason, got in some trouble, but he's back. He's playing. So he's the starter inside linebacker alongside Hopper. So with those two guys at inside linebacker, they have a really experienced duo that it gives them strong play in the middle of that defense, but also gives them some critical leadership there with their experience out there on that defense. So good players. Uh, Hopper is more of an athlete. Um, he's not as good between the tackles. I would say that Bailey's a better you know, traditional linebacker, downhill guy, kind of between the tackles, more like Pop is. But he can also run a little bit too. So they got two solid inside linebackers. And then if you look in the secondary, Missouri is not particularly great against the pass. They're not terrible, but they're not as good against the pass as they are against the run. The strength of this Missouri defense is defending the run. Like I told you, they're top 30, borderline top 25 nationally in rush defense, 112 yards a game. They're not that good against the pass. They're giving up 225 yards per game through the air, which is not terrible. It's not good either. I guess 226 actually, giving up 6.7 yards per game. They given up 16 touchdown passes through the air this year. So they're not terrible against the pass. They're just not as strong there as they are against the run. Now, one guy they do have that is very, very good for them is Chris Abrams' dream. He's second in the SEC right now with four interceptions. This guy has really been playing at a borderline All-American level most of the season. He's definitely playing an All-SEC level. Like He's going to be pushing for All-SEC first-team honors. That's how good he has been. The other guy at, at corner was a really big recruit a couple years ago. You guys might remember Drinkwitz's first year. I don't know if you remember this clip, but his first year in the job, trying to put together that first recruiting class, and um, there's this clip of him kind of like running through their, their offices, screaming his like 
screaming his head off, going nuts, going wild, because they landed this cornerback named Ennis Rakestraw. And they were up against Alabama for him. It was like Alabama or Missouri. No one really gave Missouri much of a chance. But they landed this guy. And he hasn't really lived up that billing. He's a pretty, he was a highly rated guy, a highly sought after guy. We were after him. We were in it for him a little bit. Now, he was a late bloomer in that cycle. But he, he, he had some juice to him coming into the, into the college level. He hasn't always worked out for him. He's still a really good athlete. He hasn't, hasn't all put it together. But he was playing at a higher level this year. He's dealt with some injuries recently that have kind of set him back a little bit. But he's still a good, talented corner. He is prone to getting beat vertically at times, though. His ball skills aren't always there. His awareness is lacking at times. But he's still a talented guy in the back end of that defense at cornerback. And then it's safe that they have two players that I think are really good run defenders. They're very aggressive from the back end. They like to stick their nose up there in the run game. And it's Joseph Charleston and Jalen Carley. Charleston's second on the team. He's one tackle behind Hopper uh, for the lead um, in, in total tackles for this Missouri football team. Carley's is not far behind. He's number four in the team in tackles with 36. So again, like I said, like these guys like to get involved in the run game. They are vulnerable off of play action due to that. And they're not particularly great in coverage. So they're they're good run defenders. They're not great coverage guys, which kind of goes to what you see with this defense, right? The numbers tell you that. This is a good rush defense and an okay-ish pass defense. And the safeties are, are a part of that, I don't want to say deficiency, but some of the issues they have at times in the back end of being the pass. But when you have a cornerback like Chris Abrams Drain, you can afford to have your corners or your, have your safeties get a little bit more aggressive against the run because you trust that guy more in man coverage. I think the guy you can take advantage of is Rekestral, even though he's a talented guy, he's clearly the guy that I would target more than anything. Maybe their star defender too. He's fine. He's okay at, at that position. It's a guy by the name of Dylan Carnell, or Dalen Carnell, I should say. But that, that's the personnel for this Missouri defense, right? So we went through the defensive line, linebackers, in the secondary, they're back in. Now let's spend a little bit of time talking about what they like to do from a scheme standpoint. This is a team, if you remember back from last year, they have not changed their stripes at all. No pun intended. This is an ultra-aggressive attacking defense that Blake Baker has implemented at Missouri. He's changed the culture. They are attacking, man. They come after you. And they gave us all sorts of hell last year doing that. You remember that game, right? Remember we couldn't run the football to save our lives for three-ish quarters of that game? Why? Well, because they were selling out, man. Like, they were hyper-aggressive with their run blitzes. They were just charging downhill, whether it was linebackers, whether it was safeties, they were coming towards line of scrimmage, and we didn't really have answers for that in the first half, and they were pressuring Stetson, we were trying to roll the pocket some, we couldn't figure out the run game, especially the zone stuff we were trying to do, they were shooting gaps when we were running the zone stuff, and they were really disrupting the backfield, a lot of tackles for loss in, in the first half of that game. Well, coming out in the second half, what do we start to do? Well, we start to run some more gap scheme stuff, some more power stuff where we're not really giving them the gaps and they could shoot like we were in the first half. So they were still hyper-aggressive. But when you get aggressive like that, what happens? You create rush lanes that teams can exploit and you can create explosive play opportunities offensively if they're that aggressive. That, that many guys up in the box. Now, if they hit you in the backfield, they're going to get some tackles for loss. But when you're that aggressive like that, you're going to create explosive opportunities for the offense if they can get through that initial attack. You get through that, there's not much behind it. And that's kind of what some teams have hit against them at times this year. They've given up a lot of explosive plays, guys. They're 85th nationally right now in plays of 20 or more allowed. They've got 38 plays of 28 of 20 or more yards. They've been a little bit better against 30 or more yards, but they're still not good. They've given up 14 plays of 30 or more yards. That's 46 nationally. And that's a function of how aggressive that they play defensively. That, that's just their identity, guys. They're going to do that. They're not going to change what they do. They're going to do a lot of the same things that they did to us last year. That's just how they play. 
And then from a coverage standpoint, this is a heavy cover three team. I'm not gonna, it's not an exclusive cover three team. No team's like an exclusive one coverage team, but all teams tend to lean towards one coverage more than they do others. This is a heavy cover three team. Now let's talk about what cover three actually really does and why you might wanna use cover three and what are some of the, the areas of weakness and some ways you can attack a cover three. Well, well, cover three is a middle of the field closed coverage. And what I mean by that, when you say middle of the field closed, you have a safety sitting in the middle of the field, right? You're dividing the field, the deep field into three parts, right? Three zones. And there's one of those zones is the middle of the field. So you have a safety sitting right there. So what does that do? It takes away the middle of the field more than cover two does. One of the weaknesses of cover two with two high safeties, you split the, the deep zones in half there and you have this massive gap. You have these seams in the middle of the field that offenses can attack. So if teams are attacking you that way with cover two, well, you can go to cover three and you kind of more so take away the middle of the field. Maybe not entirely, but you can do it more with that than you can with cover two. Another one of the advantages with cover three is that it allows you an extra run defender into the box, okay? So you, it, it's kind of a happy medium, right? So when you have three deep defenders, then that gives you some protection against the vertical pass down the field, right? Well, let's say if you're, there's different kinds of variations of, of cover three. There's cloud, there's sky. Cover three cloud is where you have two safeties that are manning uh, three, two of the three deep zones. You have one corner that's dropping back into one of the zones. Then you've got cover three sky where you have one safety and both corners are dropping back into deep thirds. So if you have a, a team, Missouri will do this at times, where they're running some sky stuff, that safety who's not playing a deep third, the deep middle, he's going to rotate down. So you get him in the box. He's like an extra run defender because he has underneath coverage responsibility. So you're going to have, with cover three, you're going to have three deep defenders, right? Three deep thirds. And then you've got four guys working the underneath zones. But there are some weaknesses to cover three that can be exploited. Uh, there's a number of them, actually. So depending, again, what kind of variation you're running, you're running cloud, you're running sky, just depends. But in general, one of the major weaknesses of cover three is four verts. If you run four verts, think about this, guys. You have three deep defenders. You have four offensive guys running vertical routes. Well, one of those guys is going to be open if the quarterback plays it right and he's not staring down his receiver. So that's one of the, the air raids. Like the, the air raid, four verts is a core play of air raid. And why did they go to four verts? Well, teams were playing cover three, right? Because teams were getting killed in the seams with cover two. So what do they do? Well, we'll run more cover three. We'll take away the seams. Well, what did the offenses do? They respond and say, okay, well, we're going to run more receivers into the deep zones than you have defenders, and you aren't going to be able to defend them. So that's a, a, a classic way to attack cover three. The other way that I think we're probably going to do a lot of in this game is you flood. You flood the zones, right? So you do some high-low stuff, and, and it makes it really hard to defend. So what I think we're going to do, and what I would do against cover three defenses in general, what we typically do against cover three defenses is we do formation to the boundary stuff. And what I mean by that is we're going to align our passing strength into the boundary, not to the field. When you do that, you're going to allow yourself to, to basically flood that zone easier and create some high-low reads and put the Missouri defenders into a position where they can't be right if Carson reads it correctly and we, and we protect him. So a classic flooding variation there out of um, formation of the boundary would be you run one receiver deep, 
you want run one receiver on a on an out like a ten yard out route, and then you run a receiver into the flat. And that, that way you create a three level. Some people call this level, as you call it floods. What old school they call it flood. Now they typically call it levels, but it's the same concept. And so you have typically two defenders there. You can have the cornerback who might, who might have the deep third, and then you have a, a, a flat defender. So you got you got three receivers and two defenders. So two defenders to cover three guys, and they had to make a choice. One of those receivers is going to be left uncovered and because you flooded the zone and you just got to find the guy. You got to make the right read. And Carson Beck, you know what he's done all year? He's made really good reads. He understands what defenses are doing. So I imagine if they're going to come out and do a lot of cover three, which they have done a lot of this year, that will be one of the main ways that we will attack them because that's kind of what we did to Kentucky. And that's just what we do to teams that generally run cover three against us. Four verse, I mean, we'll do some four verse stuff. It's not something that we make a living off of, but it wouldn't shock me to see us do some of that just to kind of keep him honest and create some of those vertical shots down the field. I would also liberally use play action because, again, if this is a hyper-aggressive attacking style defense, which it is, that's what they do, that's their identity, well, that makes them very vulnerable, especially those two safeties, makes them very vulnerable to play action, and you can create some explosive play opportunities off of that. So, again, like they're in the 80s in terms of giving up plays of 20 or more yards, and a big part of that is because teams take advantage of that. That's one thing that you can do to create explosive play opportunities for you as an offense, and I expect, I expect us to do that. Now, the thing with play action is they're slower developing, right? And when you have an attacking style defense that has two capable pass rushers on the edges and has some linebackers that are good blitzers, well, it can be tough to protect your quarterback and give him enough time for those plays to develop. But the good thing for us is that there's nobody better in the SEC right now in protecting their quarterback than the Georgia offensive line. We've still only given up six sacks on the year, which is far and away the best in the SEC right now, one of the best in the entire country. And while Missouri is aggressive and attacking and they have some solid pass rushers, they don't have elite pass rushers. Walker, I think, is the closest to it, but I don't know if this is the Missouri team, as aggressive as they are. I don't know if it's the team that's going to be able to crack the the code of our offensive line and be able to rush a passer and pressure Carson in a way that nobody else really has this year. So I imagine that we're going to go to a lot of play action. That's certainly what I would do in addition to, to flooding the zone with formation of the boundary when they run on that cover three, but go to play action, get them aggressive down the down, downhill against that run action, you hit them over the top. Now, I would love to have Brock in this game because, you know, Brock is a, a killer off of play action. He's a killer in any way, but certainly off play action. But it's really nice to see Lack come back last week. He could be a factor there. Any of our receivers can be. I think Dominic Lovett could honestly have a big game here because if they bring pressure like that and they try to get aggressive and uh, we can protect them, which I think we hopefully can and we should be able to because we have been doing it all year knock on wood then you're going to have some outlet opportunities get love it in space and have a chance for him to make some big plays same thing with lad mcconkey i think we have some shots to get some vertical plays down the field maybe arian smith could be a guy that can finally show up in one of these games and hit one of those over the top plays i think there's a number of ways that we can attack this missouri defense and now i know you're probably sitting there saying well why did we do that last year well we, we did we started to later in the game the first half it's almost like it was like shock and awe it's like did we did we watch tape did we did we see what they were going to do because it's kind of what they do and it took us a while to adjust but eventually give them credit we we did adjust we went to more gap scheme stuff which i do imagine we'll do a lot more of uh, in this game because with that aggressive style you run a lot of zone stuff they're going to shoot those gaps and it makes it hard for you to get much going now the thing about again is like if you run the zone stuff and they shoot the gaps and they don't get you there's not much behind behind them so you can create some explosive runs off of that but they'll also create a lot of negative plays and that's going to happen at times there's going to be some negative plays in this game they're going to try really hard to get us behind the chains get us the third down that's what they want to do but carson beck has also been really really good against the blitz this year in fact he's been better than much better in fact than Brady Cook has been this year I read you Cook's numbers against the blitz but if you look at Carson this year 
like most quarterbacks, he's not great against the blitz. He's not better against the blitz. His uh, his passing grade when he's kept clean is a ninety, or his overall grade is ninety one point one. Under pressure, it's sixty seven point three. But he's also hit some big plays under pressure. His average at the target has gone up from eight point one when he's kept clean to ten point two when he's under pressure. Carson is looking for those shots down the field when he sees those opportunities with man coverage down the field. And his uh, adjusting completion percentage has not gone down as much as, as Cooks has. He's gone from a adjusting completion percentage of 83.6 when he's kept clean to 69.6, so virtually 70 under pressure. Again, not as good when he's when he's under pressure, but not as much of a drop-off as you've seen from Brady Cook. So I think we're going to have some opportunities in the in the pass game when they dial up that pressure and get really aggressive. I think we can even hit some, some explosive run games if we go with more gap scheme stuff. So I, I think that we have probably, I hope, learned from what they did to us last year, and we have a better plan coming into this game. I want to believe that we will. But to wrap things up, again, guys, this is a very good, capable Missouri team. They are not 7-1 by accident. They have earned it. They have beaten good teams. Kansas State, top 25 CFP team right now. They easily could have beaten LSU. They had them beat most of the game, kind of blew it late. They went on the road and beat a good, solid Kentucky team pretty handedly. Now, they didn't beat them as badly as we did, but it was also on the road at night. Tough environment. The place can be tough to play. Missouri didn't play their best, but they won that game comfortably. They've beaten good teams. They're 7-1 and because this is a good football team. But as good as they are in certain areas, in a lot of areas, we are better in just about every one of them. So I'm not going to give you my prediction yet. We say the, the official predictions for our picks episode, which Charlie and I will be bringing to you guys tomorrow night. But I think if you listen close enough to this episode, you can probably figure out which way I'm leaning. I respect the heck out of this Missouri team. I think they are much better. Again, they are capable of beating us. If we come out and play like we did in Columbia last year, I don't think that's going to be the case. But, you know, you you never know. Coming off an emotional game against Florida, rivalry game, you never know. I believe in our guys. I believe in our staff having them ready. But if we're not ready, Missouri is good enough to push us. And who knows? Since I think they are better than they were last year. They almost beat us last year. So even though it's in Athens, they're going to have to beat us if we don't come out and take this game seriously. But we'll talk about whether or not I think we'll take it seriously and how I see this game going on the preview episode tomorrow. So I appreciate you guys, each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being here with me today for this uh, last hour or so, breaking down this Georgia-Missouri football game. I try to give you guys the most detailed preview that you're going to find anywhere. I hope I delivered. I hope it was a, a promise delivered for you guys. But I gave my best shot either way. I love doing this stuff. So I um, hope you enjoyed it. But Charlie and I are not done this week. We've got more winners for you. So make sure to check back on Thursday night, Friday morning, wherever you can get to it. Maybe even Saturday morning. We're going to have our picks of the week for you. We had another big weekend last weekend. And we're going to make it three weeks in a row. So check that out, guys. Appreciate you. Have a great rest of your week. And uh, we'll see you uh, in a day or so. And, uh, of course, as always, can't forget this. Go dogs!